So we've been in this series, Who Do We Think We Are? In Ephesians, last week we talked about, um, well, first week we talked, the last four weeks we've been talking about identity, right? And how God loves us, that he has built us up, that he has been bigging up God and how God has chosen us as his children, that God has made us alive whenever Alan spoke. And then last week we talked about the importance of understanding that as a church, uh, and Paul talks about this in another letter, that, that Christ has died so that we can be reconciled, that on the cross he killed hostility um, as he was killed first, then he killed hostility so that we could reconcile with each other, so that we can come together as a family with different beliefs, but unified. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, that you would be unified and show the world in the midst of having different beliefs, different convictions, that we come together around Christ, and that only in doing this can we become the church he's created us to be. The temple that houses the power and the glory of God, the Shekinah glory is what it talks about, but also that we become built up as we are part of the church. Whenever we leave the church, or we move away from the church, or we take our gifts away from the church, not only does not only do we suffer and can't become who God's created to be, but also the church loses the gifts that you bring to it, right? So that was last week. And, uh, and this week, uh, we're going to continue in the series. And uh, again, this is kind of, um, you know, as we move through Ephesians, Paul gets a little deeper and deeper every week, but he always wants us to be, to go back and remember who we are. Today, we're going to talk about, you know, it's just amazing how God does this. We're going to talk about discouragement. We're going to talk about suffering in the midst of people who, have, who are suffering in the midst of some of us who are suffering. And, and that'll be something that we all go through. You know, um, this weekend was a big weekend for us all in different ways. I tend to like these kind of things. Um, I don't like for people to get hurt or lose property, but I go crazy on Amazon before these things happen. I had like 14 lanterns. I, I got my generator. It was broken. I fixed it. I MacGyvered on it again. New gas line on the day before the hurricane happened. I have 25 gallons of gas. My car filled up with another 22, ready to roll. And they told us, expect power losses, you know, for two to three weeks. I was ready. I was ready for that. I had walkie-talkies. I had glow sticks. I had food stored up. I mean, I was ready to roll. And I kind of wanted it to happen. I mean, there was a part of me, you know, and I didn't want people to get hurt, lose life, lose property, unless it was going to mean like new car, new furniture, new whatever. I mean, insurance would kick in and you could come live with friends, but not really, but just a little bit because I was, it's exciting. I like adventure and that's what it would have been. But then when it happens, you're like, oh snap, no electricity. This is not good. No internet, no Saturday football, maybe not Sunday football. And I'm hot and sweaty, and I stink, and because I don't have a shower or a hot shower or whatever. And, and, and what happens is, what do we do? We start like self pitying, don't we? Oh man, woe is me. I don't have electricity. I don't have, you know, this or that, and kind of first world rich people problems, right? And, uh, and so, what we start to do then is we start to encourage each other, don't we? And there's several ways that we do this. We start saying things that don't help at all, but we've been told to say them to encourage each other, right? And so some worldly things that we might say are things like, well, you know, this is the way things are. Grow up, get over it. You know, this is it. Or we might be indifferent to it. Like, yeah, with every rose, there's a thorn. With every rose, there's a thorn. And, you know, again, like... Quit blabbering, dude. This is the way things are. So that's what the world will kind of say. And then the world will say something like this. 
Dude, you got you to make lemonade if you get lemons. If you get lemons, if you get something bad, just turn around and make it good. Now, none of those things help if you're suffering or you're discouraged, right? Because it doesn't change anything. And what, so what Christians do is we kind of take the silver lining thing and we say something like this. Well, you know, I know it looks bad, but God promises that he will take everything that's bad and make it good for his glory. So that's silver lining with a Christianese twist on it, trying to encourage us to know, hey, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Move on. Trust God. And if you're feeling down, you're obviously not trusting God, right? And so does that help? No. All of these things, because what Romans is talking, does it say that? Does it mean that? Yes. But it doesn't say what that will look like. It doesn't say that it will be according to our agenda. It doesn't say that this will happen on this side of heaven. It doesn't say any of those things. The promise is true in Romans. Yeah, it will all turn out for good in the glory of God and for your betterment as we come to the throne room in heaven and we look back might be the time when we see that. All of these things push us into the direction of avoiding suffering. All of these things make us kind of create this, this, this image around suffering, around uh, around discouragement, that just say, get over it, move on. Like, what's the big deal? Why are you complaining? Like, this is just life, right? But none of those things are helpful. And Paul, as he teaches the Ephesians today, he does the exact opposite. He says, no, when there's suffering and when you're discouraged, don't turn away from it, toward, push into it. Push into Christ. So that you can show a world, not self-pity like everyone else shows, you can show a world that in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your discouragement, that Christ is still with you. That he is with you and that he is going to use this to make you more like him. Now, I just want to remind you, these are not Antley's words as I get ready to teach us what Paul says about suffering. What we believe about scripture is that it is all true. It is all true and we can trust it. And so as we look at Ephesians 3 today, bear that in mind, because it is, it is a little hard teaching. And I want to be sensitive to this. I know some of us have had devastating losses. We've lost children. We've lost parents. We've lost loved ones that we really care about. And I don't want to minimize that, because suffering is real. And, and to just say, oh, yeah, just turn towards Christ. I mean, it's hard. Suffering is hard. And it involves the church reconciling and being our family it involves prayer. It involves, you know, a lot of things on the journey of suffering and struggle. And so I don't want to minimize that today, but I will, I will say this. It's the same for all of us. It's the same for all of us. And that we will suffer, and when we do suffer, no matter what it is, the encouragement we have in Christ is to turn towards him. And that in him, we will find a refuge. We will find hope. He does desire to walk with us through the valley, to lie, to lie us down beside still waters in the midst of our suffering. So let's read Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's what last week was about. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory." Father, we pray that you would come now and enlighten our hearts to the truth of your word, that we would live differently and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Not amen. Amen. I think I said that before, right? And so, um, and so what does Paul start with? It's very interesting. He, he makes a fumble. He fumbles a little bit right here, right? So he says, for this reason. Now, what's he referring to? He's referring to everything else that he's already said. For this reason. Okay, so you've been given this identity. God is amazing. He loves you. He's made you alive. He's, rec- you know, his death on the cross is reconciled to you. And then Paul begins this section with, and, and because of all that, for this reason, for this reason, and he kind of stops. He has this weird stoppage, right? He says, for this reason, I, Paul, and he cuts off. It's like he gets a little ADD moment or he gets distracted because, and we know this, if we're wondering, well, what was he going to say? Well, we just go down to verse 14 because he says, for this reason again. And so we know what's happening is he's continuing a thought that he began in verse one. And what I think and other scholars are a lot smarter than me think, what they believe is that Paul started in, for this reason, he's getting, ready to, he's getting ready to pray because that's what happens in verse 14. And he is distracted. And I think the Holy Spirit begins to speak to him. The Holy Spirit begins to reveal something to him that he wants Paul to say before he prays. He was about to say this. For this reason, I, Paul... A prisoner of Christ, and this is the, where it picks up in verse 14. I kneel and pray this prayer for you. I kneel and pray this prayer for you. For this reason, for this reason, in Christ, I kneel and I pray before you. That makes a lot more sense than what we're getting ready to launch into. But Paul has an important message for the Ephesians. You see, the Ephesians, they're worried about Paul being in prison. They're like, what's up with this? He's this and that. He's amazing. He, he, he's been given the gospel. And so Paul begins to tell him, look at all these amazing things about who I am. And yet I've landed in prison. But don't be discouraged. And so Paul teaches us this. He teaches us how we're to deal with suffering and discouragement as we look at how he deals with it through the scripture. He says this in verse two. 
He says, assuming, and really a better translation is since, since you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written it briefly. He says, I'm a steward. It's like he's doing a job description. I'm a steward of God's grace. God gave me this grace to give it to you, Gentiles. He revealed this to me. It's kind of like he's bragging a little bit is what it sounds like. He's talking about all that he's been given, how awesome he is that God's given me this grace to give it to you. And this mystery, this incredible mystery of the gospel, man, he's entrusted me to it. He's entrusted it to me to tell you and to teach teach you about it. And if that's not enough, he goes on. He says in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets of the Spirit. He says, of which he is one. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace. Again, this is him just talking like, I was made a minister because of the, according to God's grace by the working of power, not only revelation that was given to me, but God's given me this power. He's given it to me. Even though I'm the very least, he's called me to preach to the Gentiles of the unsearchable riches of Christ. What an amazing gift God has given him and to bring to light For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery for the ages? And he's talking about the gospel here. What's been trusted to me, this amazing thing, it's crazy. I can't believe God has done this. And why is he saying this? Not to impress people. Not to impress people, but to encourage them. To encourage them. In the midst of all these amazing blessings... In the midst of, 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 of this grace, in the midst of me getting to preach this amazing news, here I sit in jail. Here I sit in jail. But Paul begins, like, like where is this coming from? How is Paul able to do this? He doesn't have self-pity. There's a confidence. He's remembering who he really is. He's remembering his identity. Up until now, what's he been talking about? He's been reminding us of our identity, right? He's been reminding us of how amazing we are, that we are kings and kings. We are royalty, that we have been chosen, that he has made us alive. That, that's what he's been talking about. But he, he does this detour, and he says, this is who I am. This is what God's given me. I'm a bad man, Majama, but here I am suffering, discouraged, in prison, For the gospel that's been given to me to give to you. But I think this is what Paul's doing. He starts with this. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a slave to Christ, right? And then he goes into this. He says, but this is what allows me to be a slave. This is what allows me to trust Jesus. Why do I trust Jesus? Because look at all the beautiful things he's given me. Look at all the blessings that he's given me. Look at this amazing privilege that he has given me, that he's poured out on me. And because he's poured this out on me, because he loves me so much, and because I know this is true about who I am, I'm willing to be his slave because I know that he's good. I know that I can trust him. And Paul's starting to demonstrate, okay, when we're suffering, when we're struggling, when we find ourselves in these prisons, what do we do? We turn back to Christ. 
We remember who we really are so that we too, like Paul, will be drawn to Jesus, to serve Jesus, to love Jesus in the midst of that. Isn't that what the world needs? The world doesn't need us to act like the world. The world doesn't need us to self-pity ourselves. Woe is me, I'm suffering. I had to fix my fence yesterday and my air conditioner and my this and that and my refrigerator. My wife is in bed and I gotta wait on her and I wanna watch football and I got no cable. That's what the world's saying. That's what the world is saying. The world doesn't need us to do that. The world needs to see us turning to Christ, doing something different. That in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggle, Paul says, turn to Christ. And this is the hard part of it. Because he says this, because when you do turn to Christ, you will become like him. When you turn to Christ, you will become like him in your suffering, in your discouragement. You see, when you're a Christian, it's not just when bad things happen to you when you're following Christ. It's not that, oh yeah, I'm following Christ, when bad things happen, they happen. No, 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 no. This is much worse, much worse. What Paul's saying is this, because you follow Christ, a lot of bad things, really bad things will happen to you because you follow Christ. If you, were, if you refuse to sleep with somebody that you're attracted to, if you, if you decide that I'm not gonna lie in business to impress my coworkers because it's easy, if you start giving away loads and loads of money that just don't make sense to the world, if you begin to do these things, Paul's saying you We'll suffer because of it. You will suffer because of it. But in our suffering, Paul is saying, look, you will also be coming more like Christ. This is one of the things that Christ, that Christ shows us that we are united with him. And as we are united with him in our suffering, we are becoming more like him. I mean, Jesus suffered, was obedient to the Father, was a slave to his Father's commands so that we would be set free, right? Well, the same thing is true for us. Well, I don't, I don't like this suffering thing. I, I wanna avoid suffering. I'm not saying you need to go find suffering, okay? It will find you, I promise. It will find you in, in many different ways and ways you don't expect. But when you do, here is the hope that we have. In the same way that when Christ died from being a slave to his Father, we were set free, yeah? We were set free. Well, as we die to ourselves and become a slave to Christ, guess what happens? We are set free. We experience a freedom from the world, a freedom from what the world might bring us, the suffering, the anguish, the confusion, the questions, the brokenness. We become free from those things as we move towards Christ and find our freedom and being his slave. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3.12. This is pretty straightforward, right? All who, live, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not like some of y'all. All of us. If we live for Christ, if we follow Christ, we will be persecuted. Now, some people would say, 
The flip is true as well. If you're not suffering, if you're not being persecuted for your faith, odds are you're not living a life that's consistent with Christ. Because the, it's, this is a promise. You will be persecuted. Now again, don't go looking for suffering. It will find you. It will find you. But it will find you as you find Christ. Why, why, why is it? You've heard it said that, well, man, whenever I, I fall to my knees, then the devil has a bullseye on my back. Why? Because we're no threat. We're no threat to the enemy. We don't live like Jesus Christ. We don't rely on Jesus Christ. We don't pursue Jesus Christ. When We aren't a slave to Jesus Christ. When we're a slave to the world, the comforts of the world, the things that the world offers, when we are a slave to those things, we are no threat to the enemy. We are no threat to building the kingdom of God. And so the enemy doesn't mess with us. He doesn't bother us. He allows us to slowly drift away from God. There's no reason to put a bullseye on our back. Paul's teaching the church in Ephesus how this gospel is so amazing, how this love I've experienced is so amazing, this privilege I have to experience this is so amazing. I'm able to be a slave to Christ. And if I land in prison, so be it. So be it. This cannot define me. I'm free from this. I am free. Paul's saying also this. It's a little tricky, okay? He's saying, I'm not here because of any Roman authority. I'm not here because of any government. I'm not here because of any religious institution that's put me here. Paul's saying, I am here because I am a slave to Christ. That's why I'm here. Why was Jesus on the cross? Why did he say to Pilate, you have no authority, you have no power over me. This is my father's doing. Why would the father say that to Jesus? The same reason that we're called to be a slave. Because in being obedient, we find freedom. Just like I said, in the same way that Christ brought us freedom. And Paul's saying, I'm a slave to Christ. He has allowed this. It is because I love and follow him that I'm here in prison. Don't be discouraged, church. Don't be discouraged. This is the normal path of the Christian life. And when you find yourself in this place, look, look to me. Look to see how I have dealt with it. Watch me. And I've turned to Christ. I've made myself a slave. Elizabeth Elliot says this. Elizabeth Elliot was the life of a missionary. Don't put that up yet. Quite yet. Quite yet. Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of a missionary, Jim Elliot, who was um, speared to death by this unreached tribe. Okay? She, he was speared to death, him and some of his, his friends who were going to be missionaries. And um, she, witnessed, she went back to the tribe that killed her husband and witnessed to them, and they became Christians. The whole tribe became Christians. Now, what would cause her to risk? What would cause her to, 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 to do that? Because she was a slave to Christ. She knew she had nothing to lose. Now, she says this. She says, the Bible teaches, he suffered not that we might not suffer, but that when we suffer, we will become like him. She knew either way, if she was speared and killed, she would be coming like him because Christ was killed. If she was to evangelize the tribe, 
and they became believers, she would be becoming like Christ, as Christ did that. It doesn't say in the Bible, he died that you might not die. He was tortured so that none of his followers would ever be tortured. He bled to death so that none of his followers who, followers who believe in him will ever bleed to death. That he was persecuted so no, nobody that follows him would ever be persecuted. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. The Bible doesn't promise that anywhere. What it says is he suffered Not that we might not suffer, but that when we suffer and we look to him and all that he has suffered, it will not destroy us. Our suffering will make us like him, will make us more like our master. Suffering will not break us. Suffering will make us who we're created to be. And again, our response often especially as Western Christians, is to hear a message like this and to say, you know, I want Jesus, I love Jesus, I like Jesus, but I don't like to suffer, so I'm not sure I'm going to make Jesus my Lord, or I'm not, I'll be a partial slave, but I don't want to be a full slave of Christ because of what it might cost me. And when we believe that lie, we're choosing to be enslaved to something else other than Christ. And what we lose is the freedom that Christ has died to give us. Because we would all say, I want to be free from the world. I want to be free from money. I want to be free from lust. I want to be free from addiction or drugs or whatever. I want to be free from, from, from my coworker, or my boss. I want to be free from all of these things. What Paul is teaching is that in order to be free from these things, you need to stop being a slave to them and become a slave to Christ. This is how this happens. We stop acting surprised whenever we suffer. We we stop complaining whenever we suffer. We find ourselves in a discouraging place. We stop trying to fake it. You know, one of the values that came out about River City Church when we were talking, doing that test, is that we are authentic. We don't play Christian. We don't put on a happy face. When we're suffering, when we're mourning, we mourn together, we suffer together. That that this is the gospel, that life is messy, and that when it happens, we don't fake it. It's too painful to fake it. And when we're faking it, we can't be healed of it. So we stop faking it. We stop complaining. We stop just trying to get over it, to move through it. And when suffering finds us, like Paul, we remember who we are. We remember God's goodness. We remember our identity that's in him, that we are kings and queens, that we have royal blood running through our veins, that we have been entrusted to this mystery called the gospel that has set us free, and we have been commissioned to share this with other people, that God has chosen us as children to tell the world for the purpose of telling the world. And we remember these things. And it drives self-pity out of us. And it reminds us to think, this is who you really are. As we, as we look at this question, who do you think you are? Well, we're not like the world. We are becoming more and more 
like Jesus Christ. And the way that that happens, Paul says, is when we suffer, we move towards him. We move towards him because when we do, we become like him. Who do you think you are? You're a slave to Christ. And because you're a slave, all the suffering and discouragement you'll find in this world will not compare to the unsearchable riches and glory you have in him. Who do you think you are? Well, one of the things you are is a slave. You're a slave to Jesus Christ. And you believe that in him there is freedom and there is life in the midst of anything that happens to us. Because as we experience his unsearchable riches, we find hope, we find freedom, we find joy. Who do we think we are? Each one of us, every one of us is a slave on the journey to becoming more and more like Jesus. Let's stand.